Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the High Income Business Writing Podcast, the number one podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to earn more and less time doing work they love for better clients. With over 1 million downloads from listeners just like you, across 101 countries. Freelance writers and strategists talk and sweat about pricing all the time. But as a community, we rarely discuss how we can work together to communicate our long-term value to clients or how to empower each other to charge more, how to cheer each other on when we do charge more, when we boldly ask for more for the value we provide and not gasp when a peer boldly charges a higher rate, something maybe quite a bit higher than what we might be charging right now. Too often, writers come from a place of fear and doubt when charging for the work. And I find that they, in many cases, seriously undervalue and undercharge. But when we as a community can speak about pricing on a higher level in more empowering ways, we create a tide that raises all boats everyone benefits. My guest for this episode is Mandy Ellis, a business coach for writers and award-winning six-figure freelance content strategist and content marketing writer who's been freelancing for 10 years. Mandy works with both B2B and B2C clients in prop tech, real estate, hospitality tech, food, restaurants, travel, SaaS, fintech, insurance, insurance tech, and health. And in this conversation, we discuss how we can empower more standard high rates in this business, why the value of our client work lasts for years, and why it's so important to fully understand the impact of this value. That point alone that she and I discuss is, I think, just worth the price of admission for this episode. It was a really interesting conversation, and she really unpacked that very, very well. And how we can support each other through this journey of pursuing higher fees that better align with the value we deliver. There's even more than that. Those are kind of the key points we cover. As I think about this episode, the quote from the late business philosopher and speaker Jim Rohn came to mind. He said, there are two ways to have the tallest building in town. One way is to tear all the other buildings down. The other is to work on building your own building taller. There's a lot of toxic behavior, advice, and criticism going on in many online freelance writing communities. Too many writers are tearing down peers who are expressing courage and charging more for their work. And this harms everyone. It harms the the person being criticized or ridiculed. It hurts the one doing the ridiculing. And it hurts everyone who witnesses this toxic exchange. We need to build each other up, not tear each other down. And my hope is that this conversation inspires you to be part of the solution, or hopefully you're already doing that and to continue being part of the solution. I hope you enjoy it. Mandy, welcome aboard. Great to have you. Thank you, Ed. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here. And you know, just to, for people who, of course, didn't have this behind the scenes view, you approached me over email with a couple of topic ideas, both of which I loved and had a hard time picking, but I knew that we wouldn't be able to address both. So I appreciate you coming to me with this stuff. It 
it's it's good, solid stuff. And I can tell you listen to the show because you know what's relevant. Yeah, I love the show. I've listened to it for I don't even know how long you've had it, but I've listened to it basically since you started it. So yeah, I always love the tips and tricks here. Awesome. Well, now you're part of it. So welcome. <laughs> you're part of the tips and tricks. Yay. Before we get into our main discussion, tell me and tell us a, a little bit about your business. So what you do, clients you work with, maybe a little bit of the origin story as well. Like, you know, how you got Ooh. here, because that's always interesting, right? It's... Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So cool. So I run a six-figure freelance writing business. I work with both B2C and B2B clients, but more heavily on B2B. I work mostly in real estate, prop tech, hospitality tech, restaurants. And then I throw in a little sprinkle of like SaaS and FinTech and travel and cool things like that. But yeah, my origin story, man. So <laughs> I did everything wrong. So I started all my freelance stuff wrong. I started in 2013 when I was about to lose my job. So I got my first job. And then like about a year later, they were like, hey, we're going to let you go. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and so then I was like, all right, this is my time to start freelancing because I always wanted to start freelancing. And what ended up happening was I started my business in 2013. And about a year later, I left to full-time freelance. But when I started my business, I started on Odesk and Elance, which is now Upwork. And I did all, all the things wrong. I sent all the wrong pitches. I didn't understand anything. And then I found after doing my own business, like mostly still through kind of like the Upwork platforms, I found you and Carol Tice. And then I was like, okay, this is how we actually do things. So then I started building the business that I have now and kind of evolving that into a mix of like content marketing stuff, like blog posts, white papers, reported articles, and content strategy stuff. So like helping people get the A to Z of their content strategy done. And now I also, you know, run a course, coach other writers, and I'm a big like community person. I really like to join in all the community parts of freelance writing. Got it. And all right. So a lot there. Got a couple of follow-up questions on that. One yeah. is curious about your transition from Odesk, Elance, or now Upwork into a very different model where you're finding your own clients. How was that? Because when you start that way, it's a serious mindset shift. Yeah. So it was a disaster. <laughs> and oh. I'll even give kind of a behind the scenes on my behind the scenes. I got scammed on Upwork. So I had a potential client call at the same time, right? So I got scammed where someone was like, hey, like we're trying to interview you, but you need to give us all this personal information. And at the time I was just like, okay. And then I was like, oh crap, I just got scammed. So when I got scared and scammed, that's when I was like, I got to get off of here. And I had been starting to read other stuff. So when I left all the platforms and started rebuilding my business, I just had nothing. I just fired everybody. I was just like, I'm done. And I started learning from you and from Carol Tice about sending LOIs and how to figure out like one of your things that really stood out to me was like warm email prospecting. I think I still have the PDF somewhere, but that and your original pricing guide. And I started like, it took me so long to just make this shift of like, oh, I'm not applying to jobs. I'm not looking for someone who's just like looking for writers. And this is like a question that we talk about a lot, right? How do I find someone who's looking for writers? Nope, wrong premise. The premise is how do I find ideal clients for me and then contact them about working with them, right? Like how do I actually do that? 
So for me, I made a lot of missteps and mistakes. Like I had no idea how to do the LOI. I had to learn how to write a pitch. I had no idea about the landscape and just realizing the potential of like what was out there from what you and Ted talked about in the blogs and the articles and stuff and the International Freelancers Academy. It was just like, it blew my mind basically. Like to make this shift, it blew my mind at the potential and availability of jobs and like what you could actually do rather than being tied to this platform that kept telling me like, Hey, if you leave this platform, you may not get paid. It's like, what? (laughs) No. (laughs) So pay us half of what you made. (laughs) Yeah. Give us your money. (laughs) So yeah, it is night and day. And that's why I wanted to know more because I know that it, first of all, I think Upwork is a very comfortable place for a lot of people to start or at least perception because it mimics kind of a traditional working life, traditional yeah. W-2 work, right? It's like, tell me what you need done. Here are the people who already have the opportunities. So they already raised their hand and said, I need mm-hmm. help. Yeah. So it's not awkward for me to contact the, <laughs> you know, them and, right. okay, well, here's what I do and here's my price. And it feels very transactional, very low key mm-hmm. and low risk but Mm -hmm. there's so many problems. But if that's what you do and that's where you start, it can be really difficult to transition into a much better model. So kudos to you for (laughs) making that switch. And it sounds like, listen, you're not alone. Like you made mistakes along the way and that's totally to be expected. Along those lines, why don't we start talking a little bit about pricing? So um, how did your pricing philosophy evolve over the years and how has it evolved? Yeah, that's a really great question. I love that. So for me, when I first started out, I was like, I will do anything. And and Upwork was very low paid, right? It's basically, I got in this scenario of like, I had, you know, like everyone's like, oh, just charge $100 an hour on Upwork. So I didn't charge $100. I think it was $50 an hour. And I always had people contacting me being like, that's nice, but will you do it for $12 an hour? And I'm like, I guess so. So I got into this like pricing mentality of like, everyone's going to basically like ask me for half or less, or they're going to ask me to do, you know, like I need the work, I have to do it. But then when I started realizing like, oh, you pitch your own clients, you go out and find people with the revenue, right? And it took me many years to figure that out. But for me, what I teach my students and what I follow is like, you need at least 3 million in revenue for startups and you need 5 million to 50 million for like regular companies. So depending on your niche, sometimes you can get away with 5 million in revenue for those companies. Sometimes they need 40 to 50 in revenue before they kind of have like the money for content. So it took me a long time to kind of figure out going from like someone asking me to cut my price by more than like a right a quarter 1250 yeah so by a quarter <laughs> to being like these are my prices if that doesn't work for you i totally get it if you ever change your budget let me know or being able to figure out where are my niches that have money where like they can pay me to do content and i can set my rates and understand kind of like market value and mm-hmm. i also was really lucky and having people to bounce rates off of, which I think is really important. Like for me, the pricing evolved and I gained more confidence. Someone being like, "Uh, hey, that's definitely too low. Like, don't do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I gained more confidence from my friends being like, hey, I just won a gig for a thousand bucks. I'm like, a thousand bucks. Oh my gosh. And they're like, you can do that too. Like we have the same experience. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. 
So for me, my pricing kind of evolved with like having a sounding board, figuring out what other people were charging, learning confidence. And like, these are my rates. If you don't accept them, you know, you're not my client. And just kind of getting to this place of understanding that like your work has way more value than you think. Tell me more about that. So let's talk a little bit about value and perception of value and your mindset around value. Yeah. So that's another thing that took me a long, a long time to pony up to. So the value piece was, I realized that my content lives so much longer than like than me working with my client. So I have blog posts and articles that are 10 years old that still drive traffic to my clients. Like I can go mm-hmm. find them. They're still live on the internet. And when I came to that idea of like, oh, wait a minute, this is not a single transaction. This is not a single like, oh my gosh, let's talk about like, should I charge 700 or 800 for this blog post? Like, it doesn't matter. Don't quibble over that. It matters that like your content has massive value in well beyond the relationship that you have with your clients. It adds leads and sales and web traffic and brand awareness and thought leadership and quality to that client for many years. I'm sure you've had the same thing where like you could go back to a client and they're like, we have this case study that you wrote five years ago. It's our number one best lead magnet. And you're like, well, you only paid me X amount of dollars for it, but it's bringing in tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to this company. So when I realized that shifted the way I price things because to me, it became this thing of like us worrying about a handful of hundred dollars is not going to like the amount of content value that you're going to get is well beyond that. I know that because even after we stop working together, you're going to leave that content live. It's going to be on the internet and it's going to bring you, you know, leads and sales and all the good stuff. So the value piece is more like kind of mixing like what I think the work is worth, the experience and knowledge that I'm bringing and how I understand the value to that client and the long-term value of that piece of content that can live for decades, allegedly. Yeah. But just a point of clarification for anyone who's listening going, yeah, but you know, the market I work in, you know, they don't really measure traffic or they don't, you know, measure conversions and all that. Cause that's always kind of the objection that a lot of people have who are working more in a pure B2B content play environment. Keep in mind that not all outcomes are quantitative client outcomes. A lot of them, in fact, I would argue that even the most valuable ones are qualitative in nature. So for instance, and I'll give you extreme examples help because they illustrate the point. I had a client tell me, hey, Ed, um, I've been meaning to tell you that white paper that you wrote for us on XYZ, whatever it was, Okay, they were a prospect at the time. They read it and it made such an impression on them. I'm not saying that it's what sealed the deal because this is a million dollar plus software deal, but it made an impression on them and it lived beyond closing that deal. So that it, they became a customer of my client and they said that white paper actually still lives in our internal portal. And we use it when people first come in because it describes our philosophy about this process so well. And it's a key part of our internal portal and part of the education that we use, you know, the educational process we use with new employees and with people coming into the project. And I thought, first of all, I never heard of something like that. Number one. Number two, I was shocked at something I wrote, help my client, not partly help them secure this client, this customer but also that they thought so well of it that they brought it into their portal. So that's a qualitative 
benefit, right? That's a qualitative value measure. What if it's greater confidence? If you write something for a client of yours, and then that helps them clarify their own value to their customers. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, the way you describe this, this is so great because like, we've been really struggling with explaining this to prospects or to existing customers or to new employees. And like Mm -hmm. you've given us a framework or language to really talk about this. That's a qualitative measure of value, but it's a very important piece of value, isn't it? Yeah. I think that example is just like what I teach my students, which is like the ripple effect. You have no idea when you put that stone of content in there, where it will go, where it will live. And the same thing, I've had the same thing where they're like, Hey, by the way, we told all our new employees to read your blog post to like understand what our company does, what our values are, and how we actually go about creating things that align with our brand. So it's not even just money, right? Like it's not even just getting in leads and sales and all the fancy stuff. It's like the back end of, hey, someone new to our company now has basically a guide of where to go, which is, you know, it's just insane to me sometimes when we think about like, how much value our content really brings to people we never meet. Mm-hmm. And for years to come, like you said. So yeah. that's it's really cool. So it sounds like you've definitely taken more of a value-based mindset yeah. in your pricing. And you know that it leads me to the next thing I wanted. And kind of the core reason we kind of engage here is you have noticed that as a community... Freelance writers sometimes adopt the wrong mindset and attitude toward each other when it comes Mm -hmm. to pricing. So I'll let you talk a little bit about that. I just wanted to kind of introduce that and then see if we can kind of start going down that path. Yeah. I actually even brought you two examples today. I had only one, but now I have another. So I stuck Uh one in there. (laughs) So I'll just give a little synopsis. I'm a dork. I constantly ask people, what are you charging? How did you get that? Who's the client? How'd you do this? And that's how I started being like, all right, here's how we kind of play with all the dials. But I realized that a lot of freelance writers kind of poo-poo this whole money idea and then poo-poo each other of like, don't charge that. Like if someone comes to them and they're like, I got a thousand dollars. They're like, you should have charged 800. It's like, oh, so the other way around, not encouraging to charge more, but basically castigating you for charging as high as you did. Yeah. And that's the importance of the two stories. So like one thing, a couple of things I wanted to mention is just like, we work, we have this idea that it's transactional, but like you and I just described, it's not transactional. The ripple effect of the content goes beyond that. So thinking about your content per blog post or per transaction is missing the whole pricing point. So if someone says like, you shouldn't have charged this much, that we're missing the point. We're on the wrong boat. The next thing is that we kind of miss that value piece, right? Instead of empowering someone to say like, hey, don't you know, your content lives for years or your content can affect a lot more people than just this one audience. We kind of are like, that's too much. Like you shouldn't do that. They're going to come hunt us down with pitchforks. Like don't, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, instead of encouraging each other and building people up and building confidence, right? We all kind of know that writers, and I, I am definitely very guilty of this, live in kind of a fear and scarcity and like money is like a thing we don't talk about and we're afraid of it. And like, if you charge too much, your clients will hate you and you'll end up in like the black box. You know, no one will talk to you. But the deal is that if we empowered each other, we would feel more confident giving rates and we would feel like, hey, other people are getting these rates. I can too. And it's not just like that rate is just for them. It's like, 
well, if they can do it, I can do it. And we should kind of support each other in learning best practices. I feel like as a community, the best practices part is part of pricing is like, how is this working? How are you doing this? And working to a place where it's kind of like, I think I talked about this in my pitch is like rising tides, you know, they raise all the boats. So if we all Mm -hmm. can kind of work together, that helps all of us raise our rates. And then we don't have to kind of worry about this quibbling over, oh no, someone charged a hundred dollars and someone charged, you know, 125 or like, you know, little amounts of money like that. So yeah. And I get it. I personally hadn't seen that before and mostly because I'm not in a lot of communities and, you know, just participating and looking at those conversations. But I, once you mentioned it, it made me realize I have seen that before. So I guess a couple of follow-up questions is how prevalent do you feel that is, you know, in terms of writers tearing each other apart and, you know, punching down on each other instead of building each other? How prevalent is it? That's a good question. I would say it's probably in like, I have been in a bunch of different communities. So I would say it's probably in like at least half, at least half of the communities I've been in are like people that are like, no, you should charge a hundred dollars. Like I said, it's these very small amounts of money. Like nobody cares. Nobody cares about a hundred extra dollars. Like your clients, it's very small, but to us writers, a hundred dollars is important. And I talked to my friend about this at lunch the other day. I was like, well, do you think it's still happening? Like is And she's like, yep, I see it all the time. And it's kind of this thing where, like I said, I think it comes from fear is that people Mm -hmm. are afraid that if they charge more and then it's all kind of like a crab bucketing thing, right? Like, no, you know, like the, I'll just, the crab bucketing is basically that crabs don't need a cover on a basket of crabs because one crab will always pull the other one out. So if a crab is trying to escape, another crab will pull them back into the bucket. It's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And I get worried about that because it's like, man, like if half of writers or at least half the communities that I go in are nickel and diming each other, right? That's a problem. That is um, a problem. But yeah. it's a huge problem. I, I had no idea that, you know, it's that prevalent. So then why do you think this happens? I mean, I know you mentioned fear, but can you maybe get a little bit more into that? Because it'd be interesting to see kind of what's yeah. the, inside the mind of the person who's discouraging others from rising. Yeah. So I kind of think about it in a few ways. So I wrote some things. So the deal is that for me, when I think about it, and when I've looked at writers, like I've talked to thousands of writers over the years, and I feel like that these seeds are planted, like the, we don't have the right seeds planted. So what ends up happening is number one, we don't know that long-term value of content. So people are afraid there's either not enough clients, or if they don't charge the exact right price, And this perfectionism comes in, they're like, okay, I have to do the perfect price or else they'll say no. And then they get lost in perfectionism. The other thing is that they forget the life cycle of the content. So then we kind of go back into like people not knowing the depth of their content. So they think very small. They think very transactionally about just one blog post, just one case study, just one project, instead of thinking about the expansiveness of it. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think is a seed that I wish was planted more often is, and I know, I think if I remember right, you had Jeff Goins on here and I love real artists don't starve, right? That idea of the starving artist from Henry Merguerre, he's French, that has survived for like 170 years, but Michelangelo is making 47 million. So we're still, and I, you know, even me being, there's people younger than me, but 
not being that old, I still had the idea planted in me of like artists starve. Like you can't be a writer because da, 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 da. And this kind of filters through the communities. Like they still believe this kind of, you can't get paid well for your work or they're surprised when they end up on this thing where they're like, I can't believe my client paid me 50 cents a word. And you're like, you could have been paid a dollar. <laughs> and so for me, when I think about all that stuff, we're kind of taught as creatives. And I still see this idea circle around, even in my own community of like, we come from a very little encouragement of like, yes, you can make money as a writer. We'd come from like, you're a creative, you're not going to make any money. You're going to be a starving artist, which is nuts. And the other idea that I think is really important is that there's this difference between authors and freelance writers. So authors go off and they sell their books, right? And they can make a bunch of money, but no one like goes to an author most of the time. And at least I had a creative writing background in school and no one was like, yeah, you're going to be an author. You're going to make money. Like that's going to be great. And then when I said freelance writing, they're like, don't do that. You're not going to make any money. <laughs> but it's most of the time that the freelance writers are the ones making money and the authors are not. But for some reason in the freelance writing community, we're still like starving artists creative, but the author thing, you're going to hit it big and make millions of dollars. That yeah, I find it's programming, really it's yeah. societal programming. Yeah. And I find that very interesting that it's still surviving. Like that idea, right? The starving artist idea that Jeff Goins talks about from Henry Merger is from 1847. And it's still wow. living on, even though there's people like you who do really, really well. And there's tons of six-figure freelance writers. And there's even like Ray Edwards who makes crazy money, right? But we're still in this idea of like worrying about $100 and we're still feeling like it's an ambiguous thing that we just can't overcome, like this pricing thing, right? It's what we all get asked about, right? Is I'm sure you get asked. I know Carol gets asked. I get asked. It's like the number one thing we all deal with is like pricing. But yet <laughs> we've been doing this for so long and there's so many examples of people doing well but we're still stuck in this starving artist thing for some reason. Well, and I don't think it has to be a binary thing. I wonder mm -hmm. how much of it is people, you know, and I've seen some communities where it's actually, there's a lot of the opposite going on and a lot of chest yeah. beating and, you know, a lot of bro uh, <laughs> kind of energy. Like, you know, you guys don't know what you're doing. I'm charging X, which mm -hmm. is like 10 X what everybody else is charging. And that kind of bragging, you know, nobody likes that, first of all. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be like if I'm charging more, it doesn't put me in that category. That right. is somebody with right. a problem <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. that you should just ignore, right? Just like you should yeah. ignore somebody who's charging, first of all, by the word and then charging three cents a word, right? Oh, it's the yeah. same thing. I also think there is such a thing as, you know, people who don't want others to shine their light, because that mm -hmm. means that you're going to make me look bad. If you're right. one of us and we're all the same crabs in the bucket, you try to get out, you know, suddenly I have a responsibility. Suddenly yeah. I have a choice to make. Right. And it's like, wow, somebody just proved that you can actually get out of this bucket. Yeah. And now, what does that say about me? You know, so there's right. a lot of psychology going on there. I think right. one thing that really helped me in of course, if you don't have this background, it doesn't really matter. There are other ways you can get around it. I don't think I was particularly talented. In fact, I know I wasn't. <laughs> but you know what I didn't have? I didn't have all this baggage. You know, uh -huh. like people who started out here or started out in journalism and they brought all that baggage with them. And it's like yeah. things you can't do or you can do or you should rules. do or you rules and all that baggage can really hurt you, you know, totally because. Agree. 
I came from a world, I was earning six figures selling software. In my mind, it's like feed my family. We're used to making six figures. I got to make it work here. I never ask, is it possible? I mean, I did, but it was mostly a mindset of it has to be possible because I've already decided I'm going to do this. So I got to make it real. And don't ever underestimate anyone listening, your ability to just make it happen because you have to. Something really, really powerful happens when you have no choice. And you know, like you just got to feed your family and you'll find a way to make it work. But if you come from a group of crabs all saying, no, don't do that. You can't do that. Then, you know, so I guess it really just, you know, let's start kind of moving into, all right, how do we escape that? If you're starting to see that, if you got friends and peers and colleagues who are kind of trying to bring you down, maybe they're not doing it maliciously, but what are some ways that we can kind of break out of that kind of thinking? Yeah. So for me, this is one of my stories that I wanted to tell that I think illustrates it really well. The idea that you would overcharge for a project is very low. (laughs) So the idea, right, that you would, I have one project and I wrote it down just for this. So there's one project that I have come across in 10 years where I was like, this person's a crazy daisy. This can't, this is not going to work. So I wrote it down. So this person was $30,000 for four blog posts and eight social media posts for two months. So yeah, 15K a month for, I wrote this down, four blog posts and eight social media posts. So that was the only example I've ever found of someone overcharging and me being like, we need to have a chat. This is definitely gouging your client. So the first thing is the idea that as you're working through this, building other people up, right? The idea that you would overcharge is very small. So if someone charges more than you, the likelihood they're overcharging their clients or that they're doing something wrong or they're doing something that's not industry standard or whatever is very small, like very small. And I think for me, it's more about learning, like to build those people up as an example of what's possible. Like, I always kind of look to you and to Carol and to other people of saying like, this is what's possible. Like I came from the exact opposite of you. Like I was very much like, I didn't know for many years that six figures was possible as a freelance writer. I thought like if I was doing get hit in 40 K, I was like living like Snoop Dogg. I was like gold star living. (laughs) When I realized like, I was like, Ed Gandia makes six figures. What's happening? So the idea I think should shift to like, what is possible? Like, what could I do or what types of things how could I get to this place that someone else is? And most of the time, writers are undervaluing and undercharging rather than really looking at the landscape and saying, cool, someone else did this. I can too. Yeah. Um, using it as inspiration, inspiration, yeah. and maybe a food for thought. It's like, wow, I need to probably yeah. think about this. Yeah. And I feel like it's more about asking questions too. That's one of my strengths is, like I said, I'm a nerd. I go out and ask people about what are you charging? How did you do that? What type of client? What niche was it? What type of work? What was the word count, page count? Like, what were you doing? That information gives you a framework to work from. And you have all this data now to say, okay, when I have something similar, I feel like the value I'm bringing, my knowledge and expertise, the long-term effect of this content. Now I have eight parameters from my friends to give me kind of an idea of what I should charge and what's possible. So you kind of have this nice soup almost to work with. And I feel like you got to ask more questions and be engaged about pricing. You have to cheer each other on, but be inquisitive and curious about how do I get there? And how does that work? And we all know every niche is kind of a little bit different, like things kind of like there's little tweaks everywhere. 
But I feel like when you're kind of learning the ropes, I think that's something writers get stuck in this, like what's right. But if you're inquisitive and curious about what's going on in the industry, you end up with so much more stuff that you can use that's more useful for like, how do you want to build your own business? Rather than saying like, someone did X, I'll just do X or else the crabs will get me kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's very powerful advice. And it can be hard to start thinking that way. I get it. I still have a hard time with some things because listen, this is all relative, right? It's easy for me to talk about what people (laughs) said, but you know, I'm looking at people who are charging way more. And I will admit, sometimes I'm thinking one of my first thoughts is who do they think they are? Mm. You know, and I have to stop myself. So there is someone out there. He's a great dude and a brilliant mind. His name is Jonathan Stark, and he is a consultant. Right. You know, he's got a great podcast, by the way. I'll plug it here. Ditching Hourly. Yep. Ditching Hourly podcast. So he's not a writer. He is a software developer by training and he does consulting for software and app developers. And he's got a service that is basically advisory on call. It's a advice. The only way he does retainers is advisory. Mm -hmm. And get this, he charges $15,000 a month for this. $15,000 a month. That's amazing. That is amazing, right? I love that guy. And recently when I came across that, fortunately, so this is my litmus test. Instead of thinking, my first thought being, who does he think he is? You know what? I was happy for him. Oh my God. First of all, good job. That is amazing. (laughs) And you are getting, I see from reading an article that you are getting that. You always have one or two clients who on any, any moment in time who are taking you up on it. And then, and this is the question I would ask anyone to ask themselves, ask yourself, okay, what version of that idea could I implement? Because we tend to think of it literally like $15,000 a month for advisory retainer for this audience. Oh, well, I'm not in that. That's not my audience. And I don't do that kind of work. You know what? Let's just forget about all that. What are the core lessons and principles behind this offer that he has? Let me study that and let me just sit with that for a while. And it's yeah. gotten me thinking, it's like, what version of, I'm not saying literally charge 15K a month, <laughs> but what version of it? So for me, it might be, you know, I don't know, $2,000 a month, but it might be a different offer, but it's right. something that I would have to push myself toward and yeah. grow as a result. Because if you do that, guess what? Sometimes the real question is, what kind of a person do I need to become? What kind of professional? I love to, that. Yeah. To charge that confidently. So I think rather than trying to bring people down, it's like, what can I learn from that? I love the fact, Mandy, that you ask questions like, okay, well, how do you do that? And how do you (laughs) present it? And what kind of client? And what did they say? How do they react? And what are your payment terms? Be inquisitive. So I think that's awesome that you do that because that's how you learn and grow. And then don't automatically shoot it down the moment you hear, well, that's not my market or that. Instead, ask yourself, you know what, what's the core lesson here? What version of that could I deploy? That's the framework, man. That's the like deconstructing the house. Like Jonathan Stark built a 15K house. And if you look at it and you're like, huh, I'm not a fan of tutors. You're like, it doesn't matter. We're not looking at the tutor. We're saying, all right, 
He chose these paint colors, this type of stone, this type of furniture, but underneath it, what's in the stud? What kind of wood is there? How did he build the layout? Like, okay, now how do I apply that to my business? Like now that I can see the studs and the framework and how he did it, we don't care about the fancy, like the, you know, the paint and all that stuff. We care about like- Or the size, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We care about the functional aspects of what he's doing. How do I apply that to myself? And then like, how do I get curious about- How do I build my business more in that direction? Or like, what questions do I need to ask myself to become the person who does that type of thing? That kind of stuff. I agree. So in terms going back to community, you offered some great ideas there in terms of how we can help support each other. I do agree with your philosophy of like, look, we're all kind of in this together. We really should (laughs) be supporting each other and our peers and our friends. So in terms of community, what else could we be doing to maybe encourage people and learn from them rather than bring them down or discourage them? Yeah, I think like for me, one of the main things was just being around a lot of different types of people. So if I could be around a lot of different types of writers in a lot of different fields, doing a lot of different work from content strategy and messaging positioning to the first very first blog post or very first project they had. That I feel like gives you a better viewpoint of how many shoes there are to walk in. And then mm-hmm. it's really easy to encourage people because you're like, man, you know, like when I was coming up, X didn't happen, but now I see this person really struggling. Maybe I can help them and answer some questions and, you know, I don't know, not mentor, but help them out. And then you see someone all the way at the other side, right? Like maybe they're doing marketing consultation, messaging, positioning, content strategy. You're like, what can I learn from them? So I think for me, the first thing was just being around a lot of different people all over the world, all like people in Australia and India and the UK and Chile and learning what they're doing. And then we can kind of cheer each other on that way because we're like all in different places and we can learn from everybody's kind of perspective. That's kind of the first thing. And I think the other thing as a community is just kind of like looking at like what are the main things that For me, I kind of look at it as like, what are the things we all kind of struggle with and how can we help each other build confidence or make each other, you know, like instead of bringing each other down, we could help them move forward, like give them examples of like, Hey, I remember when I was in your shoes, empathize with them. Hey, maybe you can try this. Maybe you can do that. And then for me, the other thing is like, just actually being in community, just talking to people we live a lot of our lives as freelance writers alone. Like I can't tell you how many students or people I've, who have emailed me being like, I don't know anyone as a freelance writer, reach out, build a LinkedIn network, like become friends with people and learn kind of what's going on. I think as a community, like if there is more talking about these subjects, if there's more people connecting rather than like working in their hobbit hole all alone, (laughs) I feel like that really helps everybody. And I wish more people would talk about that. Like I I wish more people would celebrate others wins rather than when I get on LinkedIn sometimes and people are like, oh, well, that's great for you, but I could never do it. Like just celebrate them. Let it go. And I just feel like when we look at the community as a whole, I feel like if we could just talk more about money, talk about being confident rather than saying like, no, you can't do that. Or that's dumb or kind of like denigrating people's ideas. I feel like we kind of need to offer this opportunity to understand that like I said, you and I come from very different areas. Like I didn't even know six figures was a thing. And you were like, I got to do this or else like this is going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. I think understanding all those things. And as a community, we can kind of help each other where we're at. And the more people, you know, 
the more people you can say like, oh man, I know Susan, she's really struggling with this, but I know that Lindsay got over it. Let me see if I can connect them and they can talk about it and help each other. So more, I don't know, I guess more connections, more community that you can be a part of. Don't sit at home, be all by yourself, like Mm -hmm. trying to do it alone. Angry at home, bitter, resentful. And listen, you know what, talking about that, I, Mandy, I don't know if you would agree, but I would say, don't feel bad if your first thought when you see somebody like moving up is maybe a little bit of resentment or a little bit of, you know, uh, jealousy or envy. Mm -hmm. I still feel, I just, full disclosure, a few days ago, somebody sent me to a page of some coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since that's what I do for a living now, I felt fear Mm -hmm. because this person was good. I could tell immediately. And Mm -hmm. I felt a little bit of resentment. I don't know why I'm just being fully transparent here. Uh-huh. But you know what? I paid attention. I think the key thing is don't feel guilty or beat yourself up. If that's your first reaction, use that as, as a prompt. It's like, okay, let me journal on that. Yeah. Why did that come up? Right. And have an honest conversation with yourself or with a friend. And then I think it'll be easier to then celebrate them. Nothing good comes out of tearing people down, right? Bring yeah. in your fellow crabs down. Um, but I think not only do good things happen to them, if you build them up, but also you build yourself up too. I know that sounds really corny, but it's so true. I think you win as well, right? I think, yeah, I totally agree. And I know this sounds silly. It may be like, for me, I'm not a very woo woo person, but I very much believe that. And I have seen that like the help that I give, I get so much more back from that. Like the more people I have helped, the more people I've talked to about X, Y, Z subjects, the more people I've interacted with, like that all comes back, right? Like this is something I stress a lot with my students. Like the more freelance writers and the more people you connect with on LinkedIn, it's a lot easier to make friends, to get leads, to get people who know your business, to like actually have all of this stuff come in and referrals that stuff all like pays itself back. And I always feel like the more like kindness and the more stuff you can put out where you're like helping other people that always comes back. And like I said, I'm not very woo woo, but I think it just, I don't know. It's just kind of this like nice cycle that happens where the more seeds like friend seeds or like kindness seeds you plant, those things all bloom. And then you get to enjoy all the flowers kind of thing. Absolutely. And it comes back in one thing to keep in mind, not necessarily from that person. In fact, it rarely does. Yeah. It comes back from places and people and sources you would have never expected, but it always comes back. It's all energy. You know, we're putting out good energy, good vibes out there. I'll do the woo woo for you, Mandy. So (laughs) you put good energy out there, good energy comes back, you know, not necessarily immediately or from that source, but it always does. So that I think that's very sound advice. Maybe a good place to kind of wrap up. Is there anything sure. we didn't talk about that you know you feel is you know maybe we left out or a point you really want to stress here as we wrap up? I wrote some notes to make sure I didn't miss anything. So I think a lot of the things we covered just in our general conversation. I mean, the example that I was going to give, we basically talked about anyways, and you know, my personal grudge against Henry Merger for the starving artist idea. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think that's kind of it. It's basically like, I would just want to leave with the idea that one of the last things I think that really helps just the community is to like help newer writers, like helping the new generation or the people coming up, like that's like a generational, like it keeps going. So like for me, I had Ed Gandia and Carol, but like now it's like writer's rates are even higher than when I started. And so like, if we can keep kind of mentoring and talking and 
helping other writers coming up, that just keeps rippling down the effects of other writers coming up in other generations. I like that. Very well said. Well, Mandy, where can I send people to learn more about you, your ideas, and where can they connect with you? Sure. So I have a few. Do you want me to mention them all or just pick like? Whatever you think is most helpful. Go whole hog. Okay. So I have a free pricing guide. So that's mandyellis.com slash pricing guide. And I used to use Ed Gandia's, but then I decided <laughs> that Ed Gandia stopped updating his or at some point and I was like, someone's got to take the flag. Someone's got to take the torch here. So Good I decided to do that. <laughs> so I have a pricing guide at mandyellis.com slash pricing guide. I also have a course called Freelance Writer Wealth Lab. And if you go to mandyellis.com slash course, you can check that out. And if you ever have any questions or want to hop on and hang out, I do a live stream every Friday at 12 p.m. Central on YouTube. And if you just go to mandyellis.com slash live, you can hang out. I do a new topic every week and I answer all the questions. Oh, very cool. All right. I hadn't really seen that before. So I may have to <laughs> pop in one day and say, I oh my gosh, we would love to have you. I have, yeah. uh, you know, like 10 or so students that hang out, but yeah, we would love to have you come hang out and be part of that. Super cool. I love the idea. Mandy, thank you so much. This is a yeah. fascinating topic. And until <laughs> you brought it to my attention, I thought, well, I've seen some of this, but I had no idea that it was so prevalent. And I think it's important that we address it. So thank you for not just addressing it, but for offering some advice and solutions to make this community better and stronger so we can all benefit. Yeah. And thank you for having me on. Like I said, I'm a longtime listener and I love your stuff. I've followed you forever. Well, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And just a quick reminder to grab your free copy of my latest book, Earn More in Less Time, The Proven Mindset, Strategies, and Actions to Prosper as a Freelance Writer. You can get your free copy at b2blinechurch.com, where you will also find the detailed show notes to this and all my other episodes. Enjoy and have a great day.